penetrate into the thoughts and intents of the heart. And uh, we're grateful for that. We thank you that it brings conviction. We thank you that it encourages us. And I pray this morning as we continue in our exposition of 1 Peter, that, Father, once again, you'd give us good understanding. Help us to pray effectively. We thank you for our country. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. We thank you for our leadership. And, Father, we know that many times we don't agree uh, with things that happen. But, Father, we are so grateful that we are able to live in peace and we are able to uh, enjoy uh, the freedoms of preaching the word and, and moving around in this country. And we do pray for you to be able to get a hold of their hearts and help them to see that they are subject to you and that you would guide and direct. Now, direct us in your study of the word, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that have been with us uh, through the study, as we are going through First Peter, we are dealing with the subject of heavenly citizens and civil authorities, and this is actually the third part to it, and will be the conclusion today. We could uh, actually deal with it in some other aspects. I want to express as a pastor very much how I appreciate I have been challenged by a number of you with some very, very practical questions that I don't have answers to. And uh, But it is really challenging as to how you, uh, in a very practical way, respond to this situation or that situation. But it does tell us that we are thinking, and it tells us that we are looking to be subject to the Word of God. So where are we as we come to this final part of the subject that uh, Peter has been addressing, which started in verse 13, where he is addressing specifics, and in this particular case from verses 13 to 16 uh, through 17, the passage today is dealing with our responsibility to civil governments. Well, you can look at verses 13 to 16 as I kind of summarize what we've learned. The charge is for us right away in verse 13 to submit to them. We are to submit to civil authorities. We have learned this. That is whether it be to a king or whether it be, in our case, to a president and to the delegates, that is, governors or whatever the position, be it senators, be it representatives, uh, be it town government, we are responsible to submit to them. Why? For the Lord's sake, we have learned in this passage, because it is the will of God. We need to understand that. It is God who has given them authority. Uh, so they have been given the authority that they have by God himself, and they have been placed there to rule over men uh, under the authority of God, whether they realize that or not. And if you look at the passage again, in there in verses 14 and 15, uh, particularly, you begin to see again that they have a responsibility. They are supposed to be punishing evildoers, and that is what we should be looking for. Not to change social government per se, but, and we've already dealt with the fact that there are, doesn't matter what form of government we're under, we're responsible in this way. Uh, but we should be hoping for and be thankful when government and our civil authorities do punish evildoers and that we have peace. And they are supposed to be there to bring praise to those who do what's right. Now, whether they punish evildoers whether we are at peace and whether or not they do praise, uh, that is their responsibility before God, whether they praise those who do right. And they will stand responsible to him. But because of that, and it is the will of God, we are called to submit. Our proper behavior 
is to be seen in the way we do respond to them. And through doing what's right, we are told in this passage that it will silence our, literally the term is muzzle, it'll muzzle foolish men uh, who are acting foolishly by our present behavior. They may persecute us, we have learned that. Uh, if we live godly, we will suffer persecution. Uh, but that does not give us an excuse not to submit or to be under their leadership. And we concluded with the fact uh, in dealing with these passages specifically that we had to remember that we are bond slaves of Christ and that is how verse 16 ends. We are a slave of Christ. We have freedom. We certainly have been freed from sin. We have been uh, freed from condemnation. Uh, we have been free to live for Christ but we do belong to him. We've been bought with a price, and we need to remember that. We did take time to rehearse it without going into the depth of it. We did take time to look at a few, not many, but a few biblical examples, because we could go on and on with that, of how people lived and responded to governments that were actually cruel and were actually uh, not what we would want to be under, and how men of God responded in those situations. And I ended with... And I'll just give you these points very quickly. I ended with some practical suggestions to you in kind of summarizing the things we've studied. And I gave you seven. One was that God is sovereign. We need to remember that in relationship to government. Second, we need to know what the direct commands are of God. And we are not to violate those as we're living here in this world. Thirdly, we are never to violate our conscience. Now, sometimes our conscience isn't right because it's not guided by biblical principles. The objective is to have it guided by the word of God. But we should never violate our conscience because when we do, it is sin. We are to forth obey the laws of the land that we are under. We are responsible before God to do that. Then what do you do? That was point number five, when the laws are unjust or when the laws are wrong. Well, we said that we are to take a stand on what is correct. Secondly, we ought to be willing to speak out. We should not be silent. And we are to use the proper channels by which the government, whatever that might be, make available to us to object, just like Paul did uh, in his objecting and others as well. We should expect persecution. And we ended with number seven. We ought to commit ourselves and our circumstances to God. And we find that actually a little later on in chapter 2 with the Lord Jesus Christ when he suffered. He can, uh, verse 23 of chapter 2, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and we will deal with that when we get there. But we are to apply that to our lives. So that's just some practical things that we can do. Now we come to verse 17. Excuse me, just to wrap this up. I do believe that this is a summary verse, verse 17. There are four imperatives, just to give you an idea of the text itself, or commands that are given here as he is still talking. And I do believe that he's still talking and dealing with the subject of civil authorities and how we relate to that. The first uh, imperative, just so you have it, and this might mean very little to most of you, but I want you to at least have it so we understand we're dealing with the text properly. The first imperative is from the aorist tense. The other three are present tense um, verbs. And, and, and when it deals with these imperatives, 
Why even bring that up? Because some feel, because the first one is Aris, that all the others build from it. I do not. I, uh, personally, uh, in trying to exegete the passage, I just think there are four imperatives and that he wants to get across, and we want to look at them, and here they are. One is to honor all pe people. The second one is to love the brethren. <clears throat> Third, fear God and honor the king. And even in relationship to us being heavenly citizens living here on the earth, I think these verses kind of summarize what God is looking for. So let's kind of pull it apart this morning. The first one, he says, is to honor all people. That is the action in summarizing it. We need to understand as citizens of heaven, those who belong to Christ, we are to have this action toward all mankind. All mankind. What is that? We are to honor them. We are to respect them. Now listen carefully. We are to highly esteem. Sometimes this word is translated that way. And let me challenge my own thinking and your thinking right there. Be honest. Is that the way we look at all men? Do we highly esteem them or do we honor them? Let me be specific. How do you view, how do I view people who are not believers, first of all, who are governing officials, government officials? How do we view them? As crooked, self-centered, dishonest, money-making people? In many cases, that may be true. But what is the way we look at them? And so you understand that, put it in the context of what Peter was addressing. Who was in power? Rome. Caesar. There was slavery going on at the time. There were tax collectors who were of the Jewish faith in many cases and had gone over and were taking benefits. How did they view Gentiles in that day and age? So Peter, as he's addressing this, was well aware of how they looked lowly on slaves, well aware that the Jews looked at Gentiles as the scum of the earth, well aware of the fact that they did not like the Roman government or Caesar, and they were hoping that he would be overthrown by the Messiah, and well aware that his own people were hating people like Matthew who were tax collectors. And so he comes out and he says this. How do we think of it other people, when we talk about highly esteeming, how about people who are not of the same religious faith? How do we view them as wicked, as evil? Do we speak wrongly about them? And I'm going to expand on this in a few moments. I'll give you an example. Sometimes I have to admit before God, I've done this. When people think wrongly, we kind of present them in a way like they're idiots. Or we present them in a way like uh, derogatorily we present things about them. We don't honor them. Not that we would agree with their position. Don't confuse that yet. What about when they're on other social levels? Do we think of people as despicable beneath us? Do we have contempt toward them? How about from even different nationalities? Do we avoid certain people because of our impression about them? 
even unbelievers. I'll share a true story very cautiously and carefully, I hope. But uh, before I get to the story, do we view, listen, fellow believers, Christian families, do you sometimes look at the unsaved as a germ who you don't want anything to do with and you don't want to be tainted by them? It's almost like with Ebola that's going along today. I don't want to be, you know, contacting an unbeliever. I'll give you a true story carefully. I personally live in a neighborhood probably similar to the one that you live in where not everybody on the street is saved. As my children were growing up, uh, and I still have one in the home, but uh, when they were younger, I loved to just get involved with my kids, and I did not, I do not like to cut the lawn. I do not like to do work around the house. I do it, but I, I would rather play baseball and ruin the grass. So I say that because I would enjoy going out, and I still do it with my grandchildren today. Uh, and we go out and we'll play and, uh, you know, play sports and, and all kinds of things in the yard. And I would invite neighbors over who didn't know the Lord. And they would play with my children. Well, I know I, the story that I want to get to is uh, there was a professing believer in the area who purposely would have his children walk across the street when they came to our house. True story. Why? because he didn't want his family to be influenced by my family because I was letting my family play with unsaved children. That might sound strange to you, but it's a true story. And they literally would come to my house, walk across the street, and then go by my house because he just looked at me as being a professing Christian that let my kids play with unsaved, and I was an ungodly person. Sometimes we view people that way. And what I'm getting at here is Peter says, we are to honor all men. We are to see them through the eyes of God. Oftentimes, we don't see the eternal nature of mankind. They are lost, and they are in need of a Savior. Your neighbors, your co-workers, people who do not agree with you on your Christian principles. We need to see that those are still people who have been created in the image and likeness of God. Please go with me. I think it's important we understand this. I don't care how many times you've read it. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. First book of your Bible. If you're not familiar with a Bible, maybe new, newly given to you. Genesis, chapter 1. Listen to verse 26. Most of you could quote it. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And what we see is when God created man, he created man and all men who have been entering into this world since creation have been created in the image and likeness of God. And by the way, allow me a little side to learn Genesis. Go with me to Genesis chapter 9 for a second. Here's where I tamper a little bit and get people to disagree with me. 
But in Genesis chapter 9, do you know why, by the way, capital punishment is proper, whether you agree with it or you don't? It is because of this very principle. In Genesis chapter 9, in verse 6, before the law of Moses was given, the Lord said this, Whosoever shed man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. In other words, if a man takes a person's life, their life is to be taken. Why? Here is the reason. For in the image of God, he made him. Go hunting all you want. But when a man takes another man's life, his life is in jeopardy. Why? Because he took the life of a person who has been made in the image and likeness of God. In Psalm, I won't turn there. Psalm 100 is often quoted. Psalm 100, verse 3. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. All say that God has made all flesh. We need to understand that. Turn with me first to James chapter 2. It's right nearby from Peter. James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, first. My brethren, do not hold the faith, your faith, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Get out of my way. It doesn't say that in scripture, but you get the point. Or sit down at my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Is not the, the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? The answer to those rhetorical questions is yes. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. Go with me to chapter 3, same book, two verses. You'll know them. Well, actually, I'll go back and do three verses. Go to verse 8 of chapter 3. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God. Just think of us. We just had a time of praise and thanksgiving. We're going to have that Wednesday. Many of you have already prayed today on your own <clears throat> and read. Listen, we praise and we bless God, the Father. And with it, that is our tongue, we curse men. Now watch, who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Couldn't be any clearer. Why? We need to see all of mankind 
as God has created it. We need to see mankind from the eyes of God. That is not easy to do. Let me give you an example of something I read this week, and then I'll give you two biblical examples, and I will expand on it because if you're sitting there, you might have some legitimate questions. Okay, fine, but there's men. I don't agree with what they're doing. That's another whole story. But how do we view them? Do we see them? How were you and I before we were saved? Weren't we just like them? Didn't we need the gospel? Aren't you thankful that somebody didn't look at you or look at me? I you know I am. And simply said, well, that person's an unbeliever. I want nothing to do with them. He curses. I did before I was saved. He likes to pick fights. You all know I like sports. Honestly, it's sad, but it's true. My brother-in-law still, when we get together, talks about the times when I was in high school playing sports and I would pick a fight with somebody at the drop of a hat. I was that competitive. That's sad. Now, I'm so grateful that someone didn't look at me like that. I do remember an instance. I was playing college ball. just came to me, back to me in which I, we happened to play at an institution with a Christian foundation. And in the game, I remember cursing. And I remember the coach of the other team correcting one of his players because he went over and complained about my mouth. And he said to him, and it came back to me after I got saved, he said to him, you need to view him differently. He needs salvation. That's a true story. I'm glad he viewed me that way, the coach. Little did he know that I'd be preaching one day. Okay? But let me give you an example I read about this week. If I said to you, and I realize I'm on tape right now, not only tape, I'm going to go out over the TV on this one. But if I said to you, some of you who are older, some of you young people aren't going to know what I'm talking about, but if I mention the name Dennis Rodman, wow. I got what I thought I was going to get, right? Why? He was a basketball player, professional basketball player, and I, too, who enjoyed basketball, he was one that had, before this day and age, so many tattoos you could hardly see him, and he had earrings coming everywhere and piercings and whatever, but he was a very good, talented player. But let's be honest, most people were offended by his look. The reason I bring him up is I read a story, true story, this week, where somebody was asking a grandmother who her favorite basketball player was. True story. And she said, Dennis Rodman. And the person said to her, you have got to be kidding. Why do you like Dennis Rodman? And the woman's response, and I quoted verbatim, was because every time I look at him, he's always smiling having a good time, and is not bothered by anybody else. The thing that hit me when I read that story was this. That woman had a perspective that I didn't have, or probably most of you. You see? It was a different perspective. She simply saw that man as a human being and saw some good qualities. Now, the point is this. We need to see that everyone, whether we like the way they look or what they stand for, we need to understand they've been created in the image and likeness of God. I'll give you two texts, and because of time, I won't get to the other points unless I just give them to you. 
How about the Lord Jesus Christ? If you were to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, you would find out that when he stood before Pilate the first time, and Pilate questioned him and said, Are you the king of the Jews? The Lord didn't turn around to Pilate and say, Well, who do you think you are? And I don't respect you at all. Not at all. He went on and he asked, he said, do you say this by your own power or has someone told you this? And then he went on in the conversation and he said, no, I am, just as you say. And he explained to them his kingdom was not of this world. It was to that response in respect to Caesar that Caesar turned around and looked and said, I find nothing wrong with this guy. Then he went a step further and said later on after the scourging, don't you know that I have the power to put you to death. What did Jesus say? Simply the truth. He said, you wouldn't have any power except my father gave it to you, but he did it in an honorable and respectful way. What was the result? Pilate went back to the crowd and said, I want you to know, I find no fault in this guy. I'll give you another one that wasn't a human being, but... Well, let's turn to that one. It's not that far away. Go to Jude very quickly. Go to the book of Jude. Just before the book of Revelation, near the Old Testament. You know, not that <clears throat> near the end of your Bible. There's only one chapter to it. This is actually Michael, but I want you to see something. I won't take the time to read verses 1 through 9. That's the whole context. You can look at it. It deals with Sodom and Gomorrah. It deals with coming out of Egypt and a number of things. Let me get down to verse 8. I want you to notice this. Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defiled the flesh and rejected authority and reviled angelic majesties. But, watch this contrast. Michael, the archangel, when he disputed, notice this, with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment. Wow. Now, this is an angel. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. What am, what's the point? Michael did his job, and he didn't start even with Satan himself giving railing accusations. We have a tendency to want to make jokes about other people or to be so honestly derogatory about them. Let me give you a couple of points on this. First of all, we ought to honor all men as created in the image and likeness of God. Number one... We are no better than they are, other than God has saved us. In your Bibles, you can look at Luke chapter 13. Let's turn there. Take a second. Go back to Luke 13. See what the Lord said here. This is probably very appropriate in relationship to when 9-11 happened in this country. <clears throat> I want you to see this. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the, watch this, the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their own sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you will all perish likewise. Watch this. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, they were worse culprits than all men who live in Jerusalem? 
Notice who he's talking to. I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, we think people are worse and in, in, in so forth. We have to understand them in the eyes of God. So first of all, anyone who has been alive as a human being has been created in the image and likeness of God. That does not seek, mean, now listen carefully, that we seek to change their behavior. We need to seek to change their heart. We need to bring the gospel to them. It does not mean next that we approve of their lifestyle. Catch that one. Because we see someone like that, we don't go and say, well, I'm to love them, so I agree with their lifestyle. Not at all. Not at all. It does not mean next that we engage in the bad conduct or immorality or whatever it might be that they are doing. We not only don't agree with it, we don't engage in it. We don't make it part of our life. But however, we do need to respect and honor all men. And if we do that, my friend, even as it was presented in the mission conference, I personally believe when we begin to see other men simply as lost and in need of a savior, we will think about them a lot differently and pray for them a lot differently. We don't get engaged with their lifestyle. We don't approve of their lifestyle. In fact, we speak out against it. But we want to be careful that we don't end up discrediting them as a created being of God. We need to show respect to all human beings because they've been created in the image and likeness of God. And I would say this to you. It's a lesson that I'm learning, still continue to learn. The more I'm seeing that the more I show respect to other people, they're more usually willing to listen to what I have to say. So be careful, especially when it comes to government, how we talk about them. We could go on on that. So what are we saying? Well, let's say what the Word of God says. Honor all people. Remember that? We read in Romans, right? As much as lies in us, live peaceably with all men. As much as we can do that. We don't adapt their lifestyle. We're not going to seek to change their behavior. If you seek to change someone who's immoral and just seek to change their behavior, all they're going to do is become a more moral person that's a sinner that's lost. What you need to do is reach their heart because they're blind and need to see the gospel. Second, second action is to what? Love the brotherhood. And I believe he's putting it in perspective for us here. When it comes to the government, if we would honor them all as created in the image and likeness of God, that would help us. Second, we have a special love for the brethren. How are we to do that? Well, everybody knows John 13, right? Well, in case you've forgotten it, let's look there. Let's go back and see what it says. John 13. Come on. How is the believer to be known? Answer me. By his love for the brethren. Right? How well do we love one another? You say, well, I love that person as long as they stay on the other side of the auditorium. I love that person uh, as long as I don't see him that often. Really? John chapter 13, let's get right to the heart of the issue. Go down to verse 34. 
little children, I am with you a little longer. You will seek me, as I said to the Jews now. I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now, if we stop there, that would be hard enough. But what's the next expression? Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We ought to have that agape love that's usually spoken of, which is what? It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that puts others first, and that should especially happen when it comes to the body of Christ with us. We need to love one another, not the way we want to love them, but the way Christ loves us. Aren't you glad that Christ has loved you? Aren't you glad that God provides for you? Aren't you glad that God's merciful with you? Aren't you glad that God is forgiving with you every day and gracious with you? And aren't you glad that even when you fail God, he's still there and he's there to pick you up? That's how we're to love one another, folks. We're not to bite and devour one another as believers. And we have a tendency, and I say we, I'm talking about Christianity worldwide. A tendency to bite and devour and to destroy and eat up ourselves. And the world looks back and they say, why do I want that? We'd agree with them. With what they should see is a genuine love. Maybe this is a new idea that Peter's coming up with, right? Well, go back to 1 Peter. Remember what he said in chapter 1? Look at verse 22. Since you have an obedience, we already studied this, to the truth purified your souls for the sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. He's not going to be done with it. Go to chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Just so you see how he sandwiches this between them. In verse 8, above all, Keep fervent in your love, who? For one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. There's the toughy one. How about when a brother's really not treated you right? How about when a brother said something or a sister in the Lord and it hurt? Let's be honest. It's not easy to overlook it. But it is a charge to us to commit it to God and to love them. And how does that work? Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Come on. We can talk about loving the brethren, sacrificial love, all we want. Let's get real practical about it. Philippians chapter 2 and if you don't have a Bible and you don't hear this, at least look at the verses on the side of the walls. Therefore, if there, in verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. How? By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Well, how does that work out practically? Do nothing for selfish and empty conceit. I wish I could get a hold of that one. It's tough. But 
with humility of mind, that's where it starts, regard one another as more important than yourselves. It's not easy to do. But I tell you, it'll make a world of difference. I'll give you an example that happened in officiating not too long ago. I was in a particular game and I purposely, having this in mind, went up to the other two officials and then said, you know, it's an honor for me to be working with you. And it's an honor to have you on the team. It changed the whole way we worked together. The whole way. To the extent that the authorities that were assigning the game that were there made a comment on the way we worked. It all started with me, having the right attitude about them. Not easy. It's not easy for us to do that. We need to view them as more important. And I say that, by the way, because in this particular case, I was the one in the middle and they were the ones on the side, which meant I was calling the game. But I made them feel more important. I don't always do that, but it was a lesson to me. He goes on and says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude, here it is, in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he knew who he was, but he did not re regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form. This is one of the most deep theological passages, and yet there's such simple truths. Form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him, and we could go on. And by the way, it shows you that one day, every knee will bow. If you are here this morning and haven't come to trust in Christ, one day you will bow the knee and listen, not only recognize who Jesus is, but you will recognize that he is Lord. The idea is to recognize that he's Lord now. The point of the context is this. What do we think about people who dress differently? And you know, it's practical today that we're tattoos. Honestly, some Christians are just back off. They get an earring. Their hair is too long. They hurt you in the past. They left the church. Let's be honest. How about when someone leaves the church? All of a sudden, do we treat them like they're an enemy? Shouldn't. We shouldn't. What about because they have a different doctrine than we have? I mean, they don't agree with everything. That doesn't mean we take them in and in membership and agree with them, but sometimes we treat believers who have differing opinions about something like they're enemies. That's not loving them. You got to understand that you won't agree with everybody, just like those that are lost. We don't adapt their lifestyle. We don't agree with what they're doing, but we treat them with honor as a created being. With the brethren in Christ, whether they be living in China, whether they be living in Germany, whether they be living in Methuen, Massachusetts, or Salem, New Hampshire, or Lawrence, Massachusetts, right around our area, we ought to treat believers with respect and love them even when we don't agree with them. We're going to spend eternity with them. 
you guys are in trouble. You've got to spend eternity with me. But by God's grace, I'm looking forward to the day when I see my Savior face to face. And you know what? I'm looking forward to the day when you see me without all of the junk that's in my life. When all that personality and all of that failure and, 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 and sin is gone. Yeah, it's been paid for by Christ, but you know what? I'm also looking for the day that you're going to be that way. We ought not to be fighting and devouring one another. We should be loving one another. Two more quick points. The whole thing centers on this. And here, I'll give you one point of uh, my theology here. The third one is fear God. That is why I don't think those three present tense build out of the aorist tense because honoring all people does not come before fearing God. I just think he's giving us four points here. Okay, we're to honor all people because they've been created in the image and likeness of God. We're to certainly shed love to the brotherhood. But before we get to the summation of this passage of honoring the king, we need to put the perspective of fearing God. That is who we should fear. That is why when the government comes to a place where we don't agree with what they say, we have to take a stand, even if it's to the point of death in some of the examples we, we looked at. We don't attack them. We use the right channels, but we disagree, and we're ready to take a stand because thus saith the Lord, and I can't go there. King Nebuchadnezzar, I cannot bow down to that image. You've crossed the line. He's told us to preach in the name of Christ. You told us not to preach in the name of Christ. You judge who I have to obey. I have to obey God. It's not that I don't want to respect you as a government, but that line has been crossed. I need to fear God. And that's important for us in the context, and that's why I say that. We need to put it in the context of what he's been teaching. Why? Because even with governments, we are going to face persecution. <clears throat> but we need to understand, and I've given enough messages on this. We talk about fear. Everybody thinks that just one aspect of it, the respect, the, the awe, that is part of fearing God. But this congregation has had enough messages. There's two parts to it. One is we ought to stand in awe of him. The other is we ought to fear in the sense of dis we don't want to disobey him. That's part of the fear of God. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the whole duty of man is to obey his commandments and to what? Fear God. How is that practical, Pastor Dan? Well, Proverbs tells us that knowledge begins with the fear of God. Proverbs 14.27 says, and we've studied that together, that the fountain of life, which people are searching for, begins with the fear of God or is the fear of God. That's where we should start. What does it look like? Again, Proverbs chapter 8, we learned together that if you have the fear of God, guess what? Listen, you will hate evil. Not people. You will hate what they do. You will hate the sin. You will hate the sin in your own life. We will hate evil. There's a distinction. And how does it fit the context? We ought to fear God in all of our circumstances. That's where Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, how many times have you quoted that, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. There's no temptation that has taken you, 1 Corinthians, but such as is common to man. But God will with the temptation make the way of escape, what is it? That you'll be able to bear it. 
James chapter 1, count it all joy when I fall into various and diverse trials, knowing that what? It's working patience in your life. It is perfecting you along. And the context of this is even with government, we're to submit to them, we're to love the brethren, we're to respect them. And when persecution comes, what? We're to trust ourselves and fear God and commit ourselves. We come right back to it again, to God himself. Even in our circumstances. That's what the Lord did. That's what men of God did. They committed themselves to God. Let me look at one passage on this only, 2 Timothy 1. I got a number of them, but close by 2 Timothy 1, just for a second here. See the practicality? Uh, let me go to verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, or of me, Paul says, his prisoner. But join in with the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us by a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. We quote that for salvation. And grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed in the appearing of our, appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality and light, the gospel. Now watch, for which I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Have you ever quoted this? Look at the context. I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I've committed him against this, uh, unto that day. And then he goes on. What is he saying? He's a prisoner. That's what he's talking about in that context. And in prison, he's saying, I can even trust the circumstances. I know and I fear God and I've committed my life to him. And so I can trust it. And so above all, fear God. And he ends with lastly what he started with. What is the action then toward leadership? It comes full cycle. Honor them. Honor them. So when it comes to people that we are under, we ought to submit we had to honor them. We had to honor them through the eyes of God. And I would challenge each of us with this. Not only are we to love the brethren and fear God and honor and respect men and honor and respect leaders, but see them through the eyes of God. It's not easy. Our faith, in my opinion, scripturally, our faith will be deemed credible even by the lost when they see us living according to these standards. Then your faith is real. When you're willing to stand and fear God, they see the love that we have one for another. Doesn't it say that? They'll be attracted because of the love we have one for another. They'll be attracted because we love God and they're seeing it in our life. They'll be attracted because they see that even with the unsaved, we handle them with respect. We don't agree. We don't follow them, but we honor them because they're a created being that needs a savior. And when, and this country is going through it right now, I know the practicality of what we're facing in this nation is a lot of debate over what the president just did. And I'm not here to debate that. But I am saying this, he's still the president of the United States, we ought to honor him. 
whether you agree or disagree with the position, we ought to pray for him. We're told that to be done in Timothy. And we're to live and treat him with respect and honor, even when we disagree. And we need to see that. And when we do, people will notice a difference between us. And then they'll want to talk about your faith because they'll see it's real. So that is a summation. Submit to government and every institution. Why? Because God's put them in there. May God help us to honor all people, love the brethren, fear him, and honor the king. There'll still be a lot of unanswered questions, I'm sure, in our mind. But by God's grace, I hope he'll help each one of us to live that way for him, to bring honor and glory to his name. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, it is not easy. In the world that we're living with, a lot of communication that's available and seeing what's happening in various countries under various governments and even in our own country, it's very easy to not follow the biblical standards of praying for our leaders, of submitting to them, of taking a stand when the laws do cross, but at the same time honoring men. It is a difficult balance and we need the help of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live in this world as a light and a testimony for Christ. And I pray that you'd help each one of us. Help us, Father, to honor all men. Help us to be challenged with our love for the brethren so it's what it should be. And it's seen that it's a love that loves as Christ loved us. Help us, Father, to fear you as we walk, which means we will shun evil. We will turn away from it. And help us, indeed, to honor those who are our leaders or honor the king. I pray, Father, that by our great, your grace, we would be able to accomplish that. For those who are in here this morning and don't know Christ, I pray that you'd open up their understanding, that they might see, as a lost sinner, that they need the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God working in his life. For, for them, it would be impossible to do this without the power of God. So I pray you'd open up their understanding and they would come to Christ. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Chris is going to come up with a...